Hi, uh, I'm Jeff Atkins, uh, managing partner of Strategic Minerals Group, um, consultancy company, which is applying all the lessons that uh, the group has have learnt over the last 15 years in the rare earth industry to be able to provide advice to rare earth and other critical minerals uh, industries to transition from development through to operations. My goodness, wouldn't that be a nice thing? The company's actually getting into production. I know, it's a, it's a horrible <laughs> thought, isn't it? Well, look, we're here in Barcelona, hence the backdrop. Yes. There's the, 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 what is that over there? The familia is over, yeah, over there. Yeah, we've got everything. So, um, but what's happening downstairs is a meeting of minds. Now, a, a, not necessarily a huge conference, but a very concentrated one of the rare earth companies globally come together. How's it going down there? It's actually really good. Yeah. Um, the thing which makes a big difference is there's a huge cross-section of, of attendees. Yeah. So it's unlike other conferences where it's dominated by junior miners, explorers, that type of thing. Um, the thing I've found very good is there's a mix of, of everything, all the way from feedstock suppliers right through to the uh, to the OEMs. Right, okay. And, and I, th I guess the thing that slightly fascinates me about this, last year was tiny, right? Yep. There's a, been a real move afoot. We've seen critical minerals lists, rare earths been thrown in there uh, amongst that. Um, and we've been talking for the past year or so um, yep. with, with your previous company and obviously uh, with the context of the context of what's happening in the rare earth s space. Now, there's not too many players. No. We need all of them to work. Yeah. Not all of them will. <laughs> so that's very the problem, true. right? Yes. So what are people here to do? Are they trying to sort of work out who's here at the zoo? Is it look at supply chains? What, what, what do they actually want to get out of this? I think it's a bit of everything. I yeah. think it's a little bit of a case of what does actually the supply chain look like? And... There's not too much around, uh, as I say, because there's such a huge cross-section of attendees here, it's not focused on, for example, from a mining perspective, what do we need to do? There's, there's not even that much of, um, here's an update of this project. It really is a conversation in general around what actually is the supply chain and what's important to it. I mean, the critical message has really been about the sustainability right. and ESG provisions through the supply chain. Okay. Um, and that's been the been the really strong message. Who's, who's, who's driving that? Because obviously downstairs we've got OEMs. Yep. Got a bit of government in there. Not a lot of government. Tiny that's probably the one thing which is Missy. a bit light on. Okay. Uh, and we've got industry players in there. Some that's some great. speeches being made, some panels being had. And and, and their kind of their message to miners is clearly ESG. What what else are they looking for? Certainly. Certainty, right. Over what price, presumably? Certainty on price, certainty on supply. Okay. So, and the ESG component is really being driven a lot by the OEMs. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, there's traceability through the supply chain. It is, we're producing these products for, um, you know, a green, the green economy. So we need to make sure that the elements of the supply, of the, which go into that, yeah. are produced as sustainably as possible. Okay. I went straight to price because price is an important thing because the OEMs, the, the, the battery, so they always, what they need is not just certainty of supply, but they also need this kind of steadiness to the price because they, the one thing certainly I experienced in banking kind of kept us away from the rare space was this erratic, violent, erratic nature of pricing. One minute all is good and the future looks great. The next it's what the heck just happened. So for, for the OEMs, that stability because they, they need to sort of pass that cost on to um, their customers or lose it. Well, exactly. And it comes down to what's your definition of sustainable, mm -hmm. of sustainability of a supply chain. 
I mean, I know the common one is it's environmental sustainability. Well, like, to be honest, mining by definition is not environmentally sustainable because mm-hmm. you are removing something from, from yep. the earth. But sustainability of a supply chain is something which is uh, able to be relied on for the long term. And that's really what, what drives it all. So that comes from the responsible mining, responsible processing, um, environmental controls. It comes from community consultation. It comes from also sustainable pricing. Right. And exactly as what you suggest, if you have a product which has variability in pricing, which might be up to 200% swings yeah. within a six-month period, yeah. that's not a sustainable pricing model. So... You know, for an OEM, if you've got a key component which has that level of variability, well, you need to, you can't, you can't operate that way. And for a car manufacturer, for example, where if you're looking at rare earths going into a motor and you've got a five-year product life or a six-year product life cycle for that vehicle, you can't afford to carry that level of fluctuation in a, in a key component. Even if it only ends up being a small, relatively small price at the end, you still can't carry that variability. Yeah, and, and and the converse discussion that we've had is with the miners. They kind of need certainty. They, what they actually need is bankability. Exactly. And no bank is going to do anything with 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 price fluctuation and violent list that. Um, what they want is contracts which they which they can use for that bankability. Exactly. And one of the, if you look at the history of rare earth mining, very very few companies actually transition from development into operations Mm. and the key question is why is that and it's really about how do you have that study and make it bankable and one of the key issues there is the fact that the pricing model is completely um there's no transparency around it Mm. and with the variability there what price do you possibly put on it so how can you possibly get debt finance to actually fund that project so the key is really around finding a model which suits your um, your feedstock suppliers, mm-hmm. gives them the certainty, gives them that bankability around your offtake partners, and then also for your end users, gives them the certainty around the level of supply. Right. So basically, there's a conversation to be, and I guess that's what sessions like this are about, where both sides need to maybe, it's going to be a little bit of give and take required to kind of end up in the right place, exactly. or else the supply chain frankly, will pretty much stay fixed uh, and attached to China. Absolutely. And it's not like this is a new concept. I mean, if you look at the gold industry, for example, there's been gold hedging for years where miners come in, they hedge a percentage of their um, of their production at a mm-hmm. fixed price. It's accepted that you might lose some, like you'll leave some value on the table, and that's an accepted process. So I think the key is for rare earth miners to also accept that and say that, to get bankability, to obtain yeah. finance, you might need to actually lock in some of that pricing and to ensure that that's what you have to produce your and to, to develop your project. Right. And and just sort of sticking, well, we're kind of, I don't I don't necessarily want to kind of conflate these two discussions, but the financing component is seems extremely linked to ESG, which you yes. talked about at the beginning. Now, the US is, I, I get, I, kind of floating on ESG. It started hot and heavy. Funds yep. got in there thick. Uh, now I think it's got a little bit looser, a little bit grayer, and maybe a little less obvious as to what the policies are there. Europe, however, seems 
really, really t- taking it seriously, and that's good for financing. Absolutely, and I think well, what I find interesting is a lot of the um, the funds, uh, the the ESG funds, are coming out of North America. Yeah. So the investment dollars are putting a lot a lot of importance on it, but industry probably isn't. It is not as front and center for your OEMs, for example, mm-hmm. as. Um, going through that supply chain at this point in time compared to the OEMs who are located over here in uh, in Europe. Interesting, interesting. And I guess we, we can't talk about rarest about mentioning China, can we? Absolutely so, not. But again, it, 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 and it's this sort of the, the language coming out of North America versus the language coming out, out of Europe against, it seems less combative in, in Europe. Absolutely. Does, does that necessarily mean it's in favor of partnering in some way with China or do they want to be able to manage those supply chains and control that? It's about sustainability of the supply chain. Okay. So we get back to this term sustainability. So it's not anti-China is what we're saying? Oh, God, no. No. What it is, it's about saying um, for any business, if you're reliant on a single source of supply, mm. you have an inherent risk there. And this is something which really came, you know, came to the forefront over the last few years where not only through COVID, but also when you look at what's happened with the superconductors, things mm. like that, where if, you, if you're obtaining all of your critical, uh, or a critical supply of a component from a single jurisdiction, mm. you inherently have a risk. So there is a, this real push and this desire to um, diversify that supply. And likewise, it's also important to have a level of that supply coming from locations close to your manufacturing facilities. And that's typically what's always happened in just-in-time manufacturing for car manufacturers. Yeah. yeah. And so it's really just going back to what's been there before, where manufacturers are saying, okay, we need to have a percentage of these critical minerals. Absolutely. So that, that whole just-in-time mentality and building, spilling up of inventory, one was a kind of cost-saving efficiency thing, which is great when the world's working perfectly and efficiently. Trouble is, we've seen the last three years, huge disturbance to that. So I, I, I can see it moving back towards that. The other thing they're going to have to do to uh, generate that certainty, certainly the OEMs, is work with companies who are going to be able to deliver what they say they're going to be able to deliver. Now, this is your sweet spot. Yeah. Let's, we need to move away from talking about producing and actually getting into production. Now, there's a range of companies downstairs, some further ahead than others, yep. and others who will need, let's say, a bit of help. Yeah. Right? So how do you see the landscape there for um, OEMs looking to companies who can actually get over the line? The big question is qualification. So how do you qualify your product? Um, And that is the key thing because there's no point saying we're going to produce 5,000 tonnes a year of NDBR, for example, or 2,000 tonnes of NDBR tomorrow. If you haven't qualified your product no OEM is going to replace their existing suppliers with that volume of product. They'll start, might be 5%, 10% maybe, till you demonstrate that you're able to produce that product. And until you do that, then offtake is a big problem. Um, and particularly when you add in that for rare earths, commencing an operation and ramp up and producing product at spec typically takes a number of years to actually achieve. And the history of rare earth uh, production is real, is littered with companies not able to produce product at specification. Mm. So the number one question that, that I'd ask any, and I do ask any um, you know, budding rare earth developer who's looking to get into operations is, how are you going to prove that 
you're a, that you're actually going to be able to qualify that product. Right. Now, I use a perfect example. I'm doing some work at the moment with uh, with Ucor Rare Metals. So they're building a separation facility in the US. And so the commercial facility is going to be built in Louisiana. But what they're currently doing is building a, uh, a demonstration facility, or they've built a demonstration facility in Ontario, mm-hmm. feeding product in there. It's much bigger than a pilot plant. And the product coming out of that is going to be used for qualification so that they can go through that qualification phase whilst building up the facility in Louisiana. Right. So in terms of, so it means that when product starts coming out of Louisiana, it's qualified, it's able to go directly into the supply chain. Right. But they've, 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 they've ticked off quite a few boxes out there. A couple of things that we talked about was obviously um, te- getting, getting there technically um, but also fi- being able to finance pilot plants, demonstration plants, and then ultimately, hopefully, with the contracts in place, get the, the, produ- the production plant in uh, in production, you know, it, which was the key to this. Well, going going back on that one from a financeability and a mobility yeah. perspective, if you're qualified as a supplier into the rare earth supply chain, well, that opens up an enormous yes. range of finance options. Diligence done. Well, exactly. And yeah. then, you know, so things like debt finance and everything else. So from a dilutionary perspective, it makes it a lot easier. Um, so shareholders, that's a huge, huge benefit. Yeah. And so if you then want to expand your production, you've got this access of much cheaper finance. So, and there's, there's the other thing we, we don't, which is, I guess, why your business exists, which is there's not too many people have done this ex-China, outside of China, right? Like I say, this is not an anti-China thing at all. This is a, you know, sort your own supply chains out and make it a competitive environment. Is what everyone's trying to do, um, which is the skills necessary. Because it's a very, very technical space you've got yeah. here, right? The, these rare, these rails are hard to extract and hard to extract economically, which is the key. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, where 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 are the where's the skill set going to come from? Well, that's actually one of the big cop- topics of conversation downstairs is about how where are the skill sets going to come from? And I look at the people downstairs, and it's quite interesting actually. Um, you know, we've got the team here from Caresta who have extensive experience in developing solvent extraction circuits. Mm. You've got a number of other uh, ex colleagues from uh, from Linus who have come. Where you were? I was. Yeah. Um, yeah. My team are. You know, it's uh, and but then for companies like, um, you know, Cerevede, Eric Noiri, he's you know coming through there. But it's interesting that the people downstairs who've actually gone through this process before and recognise the um, the challenges of um, producing rare earths at at specification. Mm-hmm. Um, the consistent theme is they've all come from the same company fifteen years ago. Right. Been there, done it. Been there, done it. And okay. now rolling out their second projects right. um, or third projects or something like that. And that level of experience and that level of understanding mm. actually drives how you put a project together. Yeah. Because it's saying, okay, we know that we're going to have these struggles during yeah. commissioning. So we know that the project has to be designed around that and it yeah. has to be funded around that. And that's one of the the big things which is a is clear when you look at the uh, the plans of some projects where it's that it, there's not the the recognition that you know, if you have a 500 million dollar project for example or a 500 million dollar capex or a billion dollar capex well you actually need 
one to two billion dollars in financing because you're going to have to pay for yeah. two years of working capital. You need to pay for inventory. You need to pay for all of that sort of thing. While before you produce product specification and achieve. It's, it's an interesting point actually because I, I was actually going to move on to in terms of government how because we're seeing this in the battery space where you're with I think that whole ecosystem is looking to government and I think it seems to be delivering. Uh, in terms of you know tax credits or available funding and in, in debt funding and even a little bit of e- equity in places and there's a lot, lots of sort of ways you can kind of get at it. Mostly seems to be going to industry at the moment, yep. but I think hopefully filters down into the, the minor film up, upstream to the miners. With with Rara, so I think we saw um, there's a sort of UK company with a project in Angola and I think they're trying to get a plant up and running in the northeast somewhere. Um, they've I think they put a lot of press out around the, around the cost that they thought might be appropriate for that yeah we perhaps didn't take into account what you just said uh that there's there's a bit more to it than that um you know and i'm not you know having a go at them just saying it's difficult it's technical yeah it's new um you, it's a lot of money and trying to trying to operate you know mines and the technical services side of things it, it's 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 difficult and that's that's i think that's the entire problem with yeah so when I'm hearing and listening and researching about some of the groups downstairs, it seems to me not everyone is clear as to what the road or the path ahead looks like. Well, and especially if you're looking at a project where your capital requirement um, is actually more than what your market cap is. Yeah, it doesn't. It's as an ex-banker, yeah, that's not an easy conversation to have with no, them. Exactly, and you know, then if you're looking at something at that scale where something goes wrong, yeah. Um, it, and expect something to go wrong, how are you going to fund that? Yeah. Um, at that point in time, it, the way that we refer to it is that's a company killer. Well, it, it can be because you've sent the wrong message out to market. It says, I don't quite know what I'm doing. Well, it's right? only, well exactly. But it's not only that. It's saying we've, um, we've built this plant. We've got this problem, but we need to now raise enough money, which is basically 30, 40, 50% of our market cap. Yeah. And that's not an easy... And that won't be the end of it either. Exactly. So yeah. it's a bit different to saying, okay, yes, we've either we've gone over budget or we've got a we've had an issue where we need to um you know do some rectification works, we need to raise five percent. We need to raise money which is five percent, five percent of our market cap, which is a much easier Yeah, and I think in other other sectors we we've kind of seen this at the moment. It's not just a rare us thing, it's a it's a, it's a all, all companies thing. With where infl- there was a kind of window where inflation could be blamed. You know, sorry, the economic study says it's fifty percent, hundred percent more because inflation. It, it's more than that in in certain cases, because, yeah. and, it, and it does come back to the skill set being there, done it before. You know that whole know how thing because it, it's not easy. It's not no, easy. Look, and I, look, take the last couple of years out of it because yeah. that was, I mean, that was a force majeure event. Yeah, contracts. Yeah. Um, that was something where no contracts doesn't matter if you signed a yeah a, no, a fixed no term contract nobody's sticking to yeah, it yeah. um you know steel prices were were valid for a week yeah so forget D- about diesel that. exactly so forget, girls, forget, yeah, forget about yeah. forget about that for a period in terms that's not yeah. normal um it's really about saying okay we've got this project even assuming that you deliver it on time on budget from a construction side of things because the project, the process itself is inherently complex with two, three, maybe four completely separate processes, each one having their own risks, mm. but with complexity increasing at every point along the, the, the supply chain mm. um, through to separated oxides, for example. 
um, that inherently will create challenges yeah. and there will be problems which will occur and something will go wrong and it will take a significant amount of time to ramp it up. I mean, it's mm. not like a gold project, for example, mm. where the process is known, you have a high level of confidence in terms of what you can deliver. The specifications can be, you know, don't have to be as strict. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about having to produce products at three nines or four nines on day one yeah. to get any sort of price, yeah. well, as a starting op operation, that's, that's pretty tricky. Yeah. And you're not going to hit that on day one. No, no, I, I, no, I, I can see there's a whole world of hurt and pain. There. And what, the way we're coming at it is obviously in, as investors, yep. I, I want to look to the companies and say, right, management team, experienced, done it, got a reasonable business plan, i.e. they've thought through all the, all the variables and how the market's going to affect that. It's a nascent sector, so got supply chain and working out who you're partnering with, where your offtakes are coming from, the quality of the money that you're, you're getting, not just yes. the money, the, the quality. quality of the money, okay? Yep. The, it's the who. Um, as well is really important. And obviously, you know, how do they insert themselves into that, that financial ecosystem to get to get funded for the entire project, not just the debt, but, yeah. um, and then the product. Have they got the contracts which can get, well, a hedged, quite frankly. Yeah. I want the comfort, de-risk nature of a hedged contract in place. So there's lots of things for us as investors to look yeah. at. Hopefully, we can go on a little journey with you. Um, uh, to sort of maybe point at the good and point at the not so good, or point at the things that maybe need a little bit more help than others. Yeah. And your your job, your 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 company is helping companies actually get into production. So that's the that's the that's exactly that's it, right. It's um, I there aren't. That are you going to get the t-shirt? Been there, done it. Oh, for a blessing, <laughs> what we can do. I'll take one if you're in front of me. Um, but look, we, we'll maybe talk about that another time when you come yeah. come back from your travels around around, around Europe, but. Um, anything else you think we need to be aware of in terms of what you're hearing downstairs about the rare space? Look, I think it's a uh, what I'm hearing downstairs is actually very positive. Right, it's a, um, a much greater level of understanding of what's required mm. to be successful and to actually bring products uh, into market, yeah. deliver them to the end users. Yeah, and I think the most encouraging thing which I heard was uh, from a number of OEMs through their presentations and through private conversations around the fact that they're looking for sustainability. Mm. And it's that this, or the entire market needs to be driven by the OEMs mm. fundamentally. And that's what I, the big positive I saw from downstairs is I can see that really starting to, to happen. And once that happens, the rest of the, of the industry uh, will follow. Jeff, good to see you, man. Likewise. Good to see you.